What's up guys? Welcome to the Zen Plus Podcast. This is going to be episode number 74 with Guy Finley. He's the best-selling author of more than 45 books, sold over a million copies worldwide, and he's the founder and director of the Life of Learning Foundation uh, Center for Spiritual Discovery located in Southern Oregon, as well as a faculty member at the Omega Institute in New York. So this interview is really special to me. Guy is someone who I've listened to a lot of audiobooks from. There was one specific audiobook that stuck out to me. It was called The Illusions of Limitations. And for anyone listening to this episode, a free link will be in the description um, there for you, as well as Guy Finley's um, weekly talks. Those will be in the description for you. But uh, Guy is someone who talks a lot about presence, um, finding yourself, overcoming limitations, and um, yeah, just all around this interview is something that I learned a lot from. There's a lot of moments in this where I didn't really know what to say. I was just trying to digest um, you know, some of the information here. And I think that in the world that we live in today, uh, where I think you know, finding your unique talents, staying present seems harder than ever with technology, you know, notifications, smartphones, and social media, I think this is a really cool episode for anyone who might be struggling with that. And I know that I have as well uh, with that as well. But um, but yeah, let's jump into this, get to know Guy. Uh, you, one thing you'll notice though is there's going to be abrupt moments at first where the podcast might end. And that's just because we filmed this at two different times. The first time um, had a little bit of Wi-Fi issues, but I'll hop in there and kind of explain the next question if it cuts out like that. But yeah, guys, uh, let's jump into this one with Guy Finley. Welcome to the Zenfulness Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Schmidt, and this podcast is about the transformation process for people who envision possibilities, cultivate their courage, and tap their potential. We are part of a group here who are inspired to chase their dreams, overcome limitations, and take action in the real world. Thank you for listening to the Zenfulness Podcast. Let's get started. So I guess I'll just pass it over to you, Guy. And um, I guess the first question is, who is Guy Finley? Yeah, I want to know too. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah, I don't... I think the whole of our life is spent, even if we don't know it, trying to answer that essential question of, what am I doing here? You know? And I think that the basis of all of our actions are sort of like a never-ending, well, that didn't quite work. Maybe this will work. And then, well, that was close. And, well, I had it. No, no, I don't have it. And uh, And the whole question of identity is... Uh, a quagmire for humanity. Really, when you look out at the world today with the insanity that's rocking us from east to west, you're looking at a at a essentially a movement that is the the attempt on the part of human beings to to get themselves to some place where they've got some balance where, well, you know, I know what I am. I know who the, I am. And, and the problem with that is that when our identity is 
a formulation of an image of ourselves, uh, a, a, a thought, a, a plan, that every last one of those identities is, is, is fraught with fear because it's conditional. Mm -hmm. Every identity that is based on any form of image, and really identity and image is the same. So you have an, an unseen attachment to being this, to being left wing, to being right wing, to being up, to being down. You, you, you are, you, the whole of your sense of self is rooted in it. And what happens is that anything that touches that, that isn't part of what you're identified with, is an enemy. And that's why you see people in the name of unity, of love, and holiness, and goodness, and integration, and all the rest of that. And you see them hurting each other. You see them hurting the world they're in because they have no a way of being able to correlate their actions where they're, they're actually resisting life. Uh, they can't understand that you, you can't resist life and realize it at the same time in any level at all. Mm -hmm. So that long answer, as you'll see, I'm, I do. The, the search for identity. And then eventually a man or a woman, if they're persistent with their work, they will attract the help they need from wherever you want to say it comes from, from within, from uh, the kingdom, from a level of conscious humanity, from who and what they are in another time. They will receive messages, they will get help, and they'll start to understand that they have never, not once really, really ever been who they thought they were. So you, the answer to your question is, who is Guy Finley? He's never who he thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, um, coming back to that, so you would say that now at the position you're in, you're still learning about who you are. Oh, it never ends, Jeremiah. There's no such thing as static enlightenment, man. Moksha, no one, no one arrives, and anybody that tells you they have doesn't know what they're talking about. We are, <clears throat> I am, you are a relationship, Jeremiah. No relationship, no life, period. You look out in the world, I'm fortunate, I live in Southern Oregon, beautiful country, live on top of a little mountain, nice little house. My life is given to me moment to moment through my relationship with the world that I'm in. But the world that I'm in, fortunately, I understand now, is not uh, my body. It's not my money. It's not my health. It's not the deer that come visit me. It's not the turkeys that I don't know what to do with that come on the deck. It's not the squirrels that get into the bird feeders. It's all of those things. Mm -hmm. And every last moment with every last impression is a revelation. That's what every moment is. You know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. What do you think the teacher is, Jeremiah? 
teacher is every moment of our life. And every moment is a revelation, every revelation, if we're present, a realization. And the realization is seamless, it's eternal. And that's who I am. That's who Jeremiah is. That's who we are. And there's no identification, there's no attachment, nothing like that can exist in that world. Because you're always new, like St. Paul used to say, I live and die daily, moment to moment. Because that's what life is, living and dying moment to moment, at its root anyway. We have a lot of work to do. So, so I guess coming back, guys, so um, with that, you're meaning that every single moment is an opportunity to kind of, like, is it to meet yourself or to meet how you respond? Um, it's, it's to see it's to see yourself. Look, uh, just before we started talking, you and I, I tried to show you through the window here one of the deer that comes and visits me in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I get up in the morning and I've, I've had a dream or not and I, I open my eyes and I think to myself, I've slept a little later than I usually do, if that whatever it is, my thoughts come. In that moment, I, I am, if I'm present to myself, watching a mind move. I'm not my mind, I'm watching it move. There's a relationship, I am the observer. Then I show, I come out and there's Tata or Tammy or Tinky or one of the girls, one of the deer. And the minute I see, because every deer, every one of them has their own personality. The second I see Tata, I have an impression. The revelation of the relationship moves me in a way that no other relationship can do in that moment. So in that split second, I'm introduced to something in my character, my, in my essence, that was asleep until that moment. Then it wakes up and I get to watch it. I get to watch this movement, this, I, this, this feeling, this, this uh, pleasure in this instance. And I go, oh, this is great. Hey, ta-ta, hi, ta-ta. And then I go along with it. Hey, ta-ta. You know how you talk to a, like a, you know, if you have a dog or a cat or, you know, you oh, you know, little babies. Ah, da, da. Well, we do that because it's you're moving along with a feeling that has come up to you through that relationship. So if you're identified with that, then when Tata goes away, oh, Tata's gone. Oh, no. What's going to happen? But if you're just watching, it comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. And, and you are the coming and the going. Never the position. Never the one who owns or who doesn't own, who has or who doesn't have. All that's a nightmare. It's all that's a nightmare. But we don't know it's a nightmare because that's presently about the only way we know to establish an identity mm -hmm. is by becoming attached to something. I mean, the four the four truths, Buddha's four truths, <clears throat> all root around this idea that life is suffering because human beings in their sleep become attached. And when you're attached, you're identified. When you're identified, you're terrified. When you're terrified, you're always trying to fix your fear and you get attached to something else. <laughs> and round and round you go in this circle of self. Yeah, well, I guess that, like that kind of resonates a lot with me because I noticed lately I'm having trouble kind of like staying like focused or present to the moment. Maybe it's like with work or like my head's always in another place. Or I'll be like having a conversation with someone for coffee and I can't like really um, focus. And I yeah. think that, um, like, I don't know, like, I, I guess the question is, Guy, how could someone get more present to the moment or 
why is that even important for someone? Well, for six billion people, it doesn't even exist in their consciousness. It's not a, they, they were asleep, Jeremiah. No one can begin to fulfill a need until they have a, a very distinct line on it. In this instance, why do you want to be present? If you were to answer honestly, you'd say, well, because I don't know if you know the old fairy tale, the princess and the pea, you know, uh, there's these old, all these old fairy tales, man, they're all about, they're all esoteric tales because I call it divine dissatisfaction. I've, I've, I've been lucky in my life. Every, basically everybody in the United States, just by reason of being in, a, in, in this country, mm -hmm. we have what we need by and large. And if we don't actually procure it for ourselves, and I'm not going to get into this part, you know, it's given to us. So we, we have, a, but nobody's happy. I don't, I, I come home, I, I, I got a check. Uh, somebody, you know, told me I was great. Uh, whatever it is. And, and I'm the, I'm the whole, I'm the life of the party. And then I'm, then I'm, I'm home alone again. And I, I don't, I'm not happy. I'm bored. I feel like I have to do something else. And so that whole line of, I have to do something else is this long path till the person begins to understand, I don't have to do something else. I've been doing stuff till the cows come home and all I've done is do myself in. I'm 60, 70, 80 years old and maybe I've got some money and maybe I've got people that think I'm pretty cool, but I'm terrified and, and I don't, I'm a wreck, I'm unhappy. Why? Because I was never here just to do something, I was here to be something. And that's what this feeling that you have is about, Jeremiah, everybody does. How do I be more present? What does it mean? How do I be more present? Hey guys, so the podcast cut out there. Guy was talking about being present to the moment. And in this next question, I asked Guy a little bit about his childhood. And it was really interesting, um, him talking about where he grew up in Hollywood and in Beverly Hills. And he dives into that whole story here. So that's what the next clip is about. I was uh, very fortunate as a boy, Jeremiah. My father uh, was a very well-known man in the world. Um, he was the inventor of late-night television talk show programs. And uh, so he had his own, and before you were born, man, mm -hmm. <clears throat> in the 1950, uh, he, he was the, had the first uh, live variety show on TV, like all the late night talk shows, you know, he invented that. Before, before Johnny Carson, Jack Parr, Steve Allen, names you probably don't know, but they were the early guys. And uh, so I was raised uh, right there in the middle of entertainment world. My best friends growing up were the children of the celebrities of the day, the Martins and the Arnezes and the Minnellis and the Sinatras, you know, I was, we were like a little rat pack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
so I, I had a, a great advantage as a boy because the dissatisfaction that I spoke to you about in the beginning of our meeting, uh, I had that by the time I was seven years old. I couldn't understand certain things. In, in California, they have the Hollywood Christmas Parade, for example. And uh, my father was the honorary sheriff of the Hollywood Christmas Parade. You'd ride down Hollywood Boulevard, at least you used to, and you sit in the car and you do the wave thing, you know. And I was a kid, and they, they, you know what a green room is, uh, Jeremiah? So we're all in the green room and everybody's hopping around. Everybody, and I'm sitting there <clears throat> and I'm trying to think to myself, why is everybody here so nervous and angry? you know, and demanding that they're, they're in pole position three or five. I mean, all this weird stuff. And then <clears throat> I got to ride, you probably don't know who she is, but Jane Mansfield was a very big, uh, in many ways, beautiful celebrity back in those days. So I'm sitting in Jane Mansfield's lap and, and barely able to breathe for the smell of the alcohol. So so that there was just this never ending series of experiences that I have and still have no way of understanding back then. So all of that fomented into a kind of a, a quasi rebellious uh, life for me as a boy. Uh, I began seriously seeking around the age of 11 years old. Uh, and then I, I went through as a boy, all the iterations that one can. I, I studied Judaism. I was baptized. I went to Catholic school. I, I, I spent time in the, in the specific Buddhist caste. I just spent all my time growing up doing these things <clears throat> until I, I became uh, interested in other disciplines of, 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 a, of, a, more of a mystical order. And, and that's how I went. And all along while that was going on, Jeremiah, I was making a career for myself in the music business. My partner and I, we were the first white soft rock artists ever to sign with Motown Records. So, you know, oh, so, yeah. now I, so now I'm hanging out with Mr. Gordy and uh, Diana Ross and the Jackson Five. I mean, you know, they, they were, now I'm in that world. So, and, and in and out and in and out, really good friends with Billy Preston. Mames, most people don't know anymore, but they were the great musicians and artists of the day. So I had a, I had a great life. Uh, and then I, I, I got so unhappy with all my happiness that I just gave everything up, literally, at the age of, what, 27 or 28 years old. I just quit everything, and I went uh, traveling. Went to India, went to the East, uh, just started wandering around because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had heard and read that there were some people over there that might be able to do something for me. And I'm leaving out a big section here. It's mm -hmm. not important be, because between the age of 18 and 25, uh, somehow or other, I wound up being a chela, a, a disciple, a direct disciple of one of Yogananda's oldest disciples. So I, I got indoctrinated into that world of self-realization and, and, and uh, the Kriya Yoga and all of that. And so just this big mess of stuff, Jeremiah, 
all valuable, uh, but all, all empty for me. Mm -hmm. uh, went to India, put my forehead on the feet of more people than I care to tell you about. Uh, received hundreds of Shakti pots from various so-called saints and sages and uh, <clears throat> came home with nothing other than the realization that what I was looking for, I wasn't going to find outside of myself. That was the big thing. It took me 27 years to find out I was looking in all the wrong places for somebody to do some, to do all the wrong things for me. You know, this is a, this is personal. This mm -hmm. is what a man or a woman must understand that you look to someone to do something for you. You're dead in the water period. Not that there aren't, and not that I haven't had by, by grace, tremendous relationships with individuals. Cause when I got back, for instance, I, I started helping a particular very well-known Indian man with his work here in the United States. I was drawn to him. I liked him. And, uh, but it just wasn't what I wanted. And then I told that I said, I, I'm, I gotta go. I love you, but this doesn't, this isn't what it is and what it's meant to be. And this is a true story. I walked out of the building and this guy that I didn't like at all was, he was very quiet, quite violent inwardly, but outwardly very meditative, uh, runs and catches me. And he says, you gotta go hear this guy. And he hands me a little piece of paper. And I open it up and it says Vernon Howard. And I said, well, who's he? Because first of all, anybody with the name Vernon Howard can't be spiritual because it wasn't Muktananda. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't Lakshmiri. It wasn't, there was no uh, Anandas after it. So it couldn't possibly, uh, he said, he's really powerful, which is what he was onto. You know, he was like a psychic vampire, this guy. I said, forget it, man. And I threw the paper away because he told me he was going to be speaking in North Hollywood somewhere. With God as my witness, I get up at 9.30 the next morning. I open my eyes and I tell my fiance, I got to go. She goes, where are you going? I said, I don't know exactly, but I got to go. I, I got to go hear this man. I didn't know where he was. I just knew he was at a church in North Hollywood on, on uh, one of these, on Vine. That's all I knew because that's what was on the paper. I literally drove from Malibu, California to North Hollywood and drove up and down this place where the churches were till I found a place with a lot of cars. And I went in there and, and he was halfway through his talk. His name was Vernon Howard. I wasn't terribly impressed with his talk. And then when I saw his books, I was even less impressed. The Mystic Path to Cosmic Power, stuff that sounded so stupid to me, I couldn't believe it. But I walked up to him and I said, hi, with, in great, with great arrogance, I might add, because I, I thought for sure I, I have to be somebody. <laughs> he, he looked at me, Jeremiah. He had these steely gray blue eyes. He looked at me. He said, I know all about you, just like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't comforting. <laughs> there was nothing I liked in it. So, long story short, I spent the next 14 years uh, by his side. <clears throat> he, he was a truly illumined Christian mystic, uh, a saint, as far as I was concerned, uh, 
everything that I had gone looking for, but had, but didn't find, uh, was in him. And he would have nothing to do with me for years. Uh, it was uncanny. I would, but that, but then eventually the relationship flowered and I became, uh, his, a co-director of his foundation. I, I ran the one in California, a school, spiritual school. And that was really, I have to say, the root of my development, it was those 14 years with Mr. Howard before he died. Mm -hmm. uh, and he gave me instructions prior to his death uh, that I followed. That's, that's, you asked me, there's my story. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's one heck of a story. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> that you grew up in California around these celebrities and then all of a sudden you kind of rebel and then you leave to India. Um, I think so yeah, yeah. Th that's an interesting point too, is when you left to India, what do you think made it so you kind of took the leap of faith to, you know, move or move over there, go to a place you've never been to before um, compared to stay? Cause I'm sure like some of your friends were, were maybe curious about leaving. <laughs> that would be the operative word curious. They thought I lost my mind. I, I was I was successful. I had wrote music that were on platinum albums. I scored motion pictures and television shows. I mean, I had a, a ranch in Malibu with horses. I was successful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I and then I became a handyman. That's literally what happened. I quit music business. I went traveled, came home, didn't want anything to do with anybody. I had to make, I had to support, I did have royalties from my music. Thank God that was tided me over that period of years. But then I became a handyman. I started putting out flyers in people's mailboxes and saying I could do stuff that I couldn't do. And then if I get a job, I'd go buy a sunset book on how to do it. <laughs> and then I'd figure out how to do it. That was the most, you know, I realized in that, in that time that the reason that I uh, became everything that I became. Well, I did love music, but it was mostly because I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want to be irritated. I didn't want anything to disturb me. That's what I'm talking to you about when we uh, use these ideas, you know, like this cosmic dissatisfaction, divine dissatisfaction. Every last human being <clears throat> doesn't so much choose the things they do, Jeremiah. We avoid the things we don't want to do, and by a path of least resistance, arrive at our career. By and large, that's what happens. Unless we have an actual love of something, it's almost always the path of least resistance because that's what we do to avoid meeting ourselves as we are. So I did love music, don't misunderstand me, but my first love was to be a veterinarian. When I was a boy, that's all I wanted to do is to be a veterinarian. I loved animals. I grew up on a, in a very beautiful place. We had acreage and, you know, and I, I had um, aquariums filled with lizards and all kinds of creatures. I just loved animals. Mm -hmm. So, but then when I got into high school, I learned, well, to be a veterinarian, you actually have to go to medical school longer than a doctor. And you have to understand chemistry, which that wasn't going to happen for me, too much resistance. <laughs> so I became a musician. <laughs> you know, they say, what do you do? Well, I'm an actor working at a restaurant. I really wanted to be an accountant, but I couldn't add numbers up. So you get all of these, these weird paths that people take. 
because they run into something that causes them to, to meet a limitation. And our path when we meet limitation is avoidance. Instead of understanding limitation is always invitation and the invitation is always revelation and the revelation is always realization and realization is always liberation. That's the path, always. But it takes a long time to get this through this big thick noodle of ours. So I guess when you run up kind of against your limitations, um, so like how could someone develop like, or, or how could someone get through that? And, and what's even the reason for them to work on a limitation? Like let's say maybe they're not good at speaking with people or maybe they really want to get good at math and they just, they, they just have this belief in their mind that they're not, they just can't do it. It's not who they are. Um, how could someone shift that and be, and say like, maybe this is something that could uh, change for me. Look, Jeremiah, a very unpopular idea of mine is that we've, we, how can I say it concisely? My life is all about what I value. I do what I value. Mm -hmm. If I'm negative, it's because I value it. If I hate myself, it's because I find value in it. If I call myself a ne'er-do-well and I judge myself because I won't go through stuff, it's because I value it. My experience is my consciousness. My consciousness values what it values until, by the grace of God, something that is in that consciousness. I don't know if you know scripture. The light dwelleth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Within this consciousness, there is an awareness, another order of being. And at some point, if a human is fortunate, that other being, that other part of themselves, that waits for them within themselves, starts to become noticeable. And at some point, I can no longer value what I valued, even though I'm terrified that if I stop doing what I'm not happy doing, somehow I'll be more unhappy. This is the illogic of that mind. I'm attached to something. It's causing me to be dependent and fearful. I'm making compromises everywhere I go. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I fawn in front of people, anything to get ahead. And then one day, by the grace of God, if it happens, that man or that woman is sitting there and they go, I can't do this anymore. Then, then the voices start. Yeah, but what about this? And well, this is just this time. No, no, but this is different. This, this time is really different. And we all know those voices. And at some point, the man, the woman begins to cease valuing what he will become. Because that's the whole of this life, becoming. And it doesn't exist. Becoming is an illusion. Because becoming can't be separated from the image I have of what I'm going to become. And the image can't be separated from the attachment to it. And the attachment and the image come from where? Imagination. 
from my past. All right, so the Wi-Fi cut out again. This is going to be part two of the podcast. Uh, we actually filmed this a uh, couple weeks after, but uh, this will be the rest of the podcast. A lot of information from Guy here, and uh, yeah, let's hop into it. Hey guys, welcome to the Zen Plus podcast. This is going to be part two of the Guy the Guy Finley interview. Um, in part one, it was just amazing jumping into Guy's story, learning a little bit more about him. But this next part of the interview is going to be where we kind of go deeper into Guy's story, his wisdom, and just, I think there's a lot that each of us can take out of this. So I guess for you guys, the, the first question I kind of have for you is jumping back to your life story, you know, growing up, you said your dad was Larry Finley and he was um, kind of the creator of late night talk show television. I just wanted to ask you, like, what did you learn growing up um, with that type of father? Really nothing. <laughs> okay. So I why mean, nothing? Uh, you know, Jeremiah, we have a, a feature of our present consciousness that we really don't understand literally determines what we're conscious of. And in this instance, just one quick story to illustrate what I couldn't learn back then, but by the grace of God, I understood that at some level there was something fundamentally wrong. Mm -hmm. My father was one of the partners in a corporation that was rapidly growing and they were going to buy 20th Century Fox Studios. So I remember being upstairs in the, they had the whole upper floor of the Century Plaza Hotel, this my father's company. They were having all these meetings. <laughs> and I remember sitting there with my father and a couple gentlemen who later went to jail. <laughs> and, uh, and my dad was telling me that, you know, like I'd be the vice president of of some wing of this company. I was 18 years old or something like that. I had some business experience. I'd run a, I was running the ho a hotel in Beverly Hills that they had bought. I was the manager there, had no experience, but they put me in. And uh, I remember getting <clears throat> in the elevator and I, I, I was bouncing off the walls, you know, like a, like one of those super balls, boing, 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 boing. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was so pumped. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna really be someone, <laughs> and I'm gonna really be able to get stuff. And uh, I knew there was something really wrong with that in inwardly. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stop myself because the the identity was so uh, tempting to to be fully vested in letting that energy run rampant. Uh, but as all things like that usually come to pass, <clears throat> within five months, the Security Exchange Com uh, Council had closed the, my father's corporation. Several guys went to jail, not my father. He, to this day, he says, well, he's not here, but you know, he didn't know that these other guys in England were like the mafia, <laughs> you know, like really a bunch of strange stuff. 
but I knew there was something wrong. And if what did I learn? It was a bit of a like a bead on a on a string, an experience that I couldn't make much of at the time. But as I was able to acquire more understanding of that identification process, it began slowly to uh, give me a certain presence in the face of those kind of temptations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that rather than being drawn into the air and battered around by the winds of passing conditions, my feet were able to stay on the ground more consistently. It wasn't that I, I, I didn't have the excitement. It's just that it was tempered by an understanding that an identity based in passing conditions is always going to be a fearful one. And the excitement is just the flip side of the fear. That's all it is. Fear and excitement are very, very closely related. <clears throat> so that's why I say nothing then, and yet something was acquired through all of these types of experiences I had while I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So then I guess um, coming back to that kind of living through living in Hollywood and being surrounded by these celebrities and all these um, famous people, you, I think you said that at one point you noticed like this divine dissatisfaction. You mentioned that word. I didn't really know what it meant, but kind of this like anger or inward anger that you kind of felt around that environment. Um, could you could you talk more about what that is and what, what that meant? What are we looking for here? Um, um, I don't know. That's still a question I, I ask myself often. I think just a, a place of like, I think we're trying to figure out who we are. Yeah, because really at the root of these questions, which in and of themselves are just sort of like sharing experiences, which, you know, it's great over a glass of wine or a cupcake or whatever you share, you know, that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. but. The thing is, Jeremiah, is that I'm answering the question, but it won't sound like I am, okay? We have to be honest. It's so hard for us to be honest. Because it's honesty that isn't our own, that allows us to see where dishonesty, which is any form of identification, when I'm identified with something, it is a dishonest self. It is an order of myself that belongs to the condition that has produced it. And when who I am depends upon and is attached to the condition that has produced it, I'm dead in the water, even if it lasts for 50 years. Because at the end of the time period that that condition is allowed to remain in place, over which I have no authority, I'm going to run into the same emptiness that drove me into that temptation and identification to begin with. And I believe that there is, by the grace of God, by the grace of some kind of higher intelligence that we are already connected to, that it never stops trying to help us be honest. Now, I'll tell you a story from my past, but, but now we have it in the right context so that we can all understand it. Because it makes no sense. It does make makes no damn difference, Jeremiah. What happened to me? It's mm -hmm. all it's all trash. It, it 
the only value is did it actually affect something that changed me as a man that can change you as a man or anyone who's listening to bring about some fundamental possibility of some perception in the moment that produces a sudden awareness of a disparity what's this about why did i what what was that not what was that uh, you know relative to this or all the rest of that but what 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 just touched me now i'll give you a story another one of these stories that had a significance in my life but that i didn't know had significance at the time so that our listeners can now look at these moments as a moment where a light goes off you know but we don't mm -hmm. see that the thing is we don't you can't see the light that reveals the shadow you see the shadow not the light as we as we become more mature we start to understand we don't see a shadow without light but now when we see things in ourselves or in the world problems you know ugliness selfishness hatred and we see it or we see it in ourselves greed you know ambition that we 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 see the shadow and something in us knows that we're not meant to be you know running around like a horse with a bridle in its mouth being whipped on the way to the barn but we don't know it so we get these glimpses the glimpse is produced by the light we want to let the light be the dominant factor in the moment and not our identification of wanting or not wanting the shadow it's revealed so i'm not going to name the person's home that i was in but i was in one of the most famous actors and singer home at the time i was uh, see i was probably 18 17 or 18 years old <clears throat> and uh there's a mansion, you know, I mean, we're talking mansion. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking, I can still see it in my mind's eye. I remember walking down this kind of this grand hallway that you came into the house because those houses, if you've ever been in them, you, you don't walk into the living room. You walk into a room you could live in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the living room. You know, that's what it's like, you know, marble and staircase and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I went and asked for the, where was a restroom I could use? And uh, the mother of my friend, the wife of the superstars, showed me the bathroom I could go into uh, to use there in the foyer. Now this is gonna sound so silly, but it's to make a point. So I walk into this bathroom and I'm looking around. Now I came from a, a wealthy family you have to understand that that's not like i'm mm -hmm. somebody fell off the turnip truck you know shucks oh you know look at that it was that wasn't the deal but i walked into this incredibly ornate bathroom and i'm sitting there and i i, I do what i do and then i'm washing my hands and i look down into the corner of the bathroom i know this and there's a there's a cracked tile I remember staring at that cracked tile because suddenly the whole facade had a crack in it. The whole thing, that one little corner in this elegant mansion that nobody knows about probably, 
had this crack, not a little crack. It was a pretty big crack. And I remember, I must have stayed there because I felt emptiness, Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Now, why does a 17-year-old, 18-year-old on his way to whatever he's on his way to, ostensibly having a bang-up time in a big home with his friends and all the rest of that, and look at a crack in the tile, you know, uh, along the wall and, and feel empty. See, that, that was a moment that the divine was reaching out. It's trying to say, everything physical has a crack in it, dude. It just does. If it's in time, it has a crack in it. <laughs> Whether it's my identity because I've got this, uh, this is happening, I'm going to become that. Oh, wow, they really said I was great. Look at all those nice notes people are sending about you're this and you're that. Every last identity derived from a passing condition is a secret heartache disguised as something that's beautiful. But to the point, because I don't want to crush people's expectations and happiness out there. I'm just saying, let's agree to be as present as we can to the whole of the moment, instead of just being identified as we are with the thing that supports the image we have of ourselves that we want. We all want people to like us, to say wonderful things about us. But we never recognize that the more dependent we are on reading nice comments or having people flatter us, that the more dependent we are, the more fearful we are and irritated we are the moment somebody doesn't agree with our exalted opinion or whatever we've said. But we don't see that at that moment. And yet we've all had that experience, haven't you, Jeremiah? A hundred people can tell you, you're the greatest thing that ever happened. Jeremiah is so sweet. What a sweetheart Jeremiah is. He's open, he's interested, he pays attention. What a great guy. And then one person doesn't like you. You don't think about 99 that do. You think Mm -hmm. about 100, the 100th that doesn't like you. And either what you have to do to punish that person to get them to see that you're right and they're wrong, get them on your side, or to resent them. And they become your enemy because they don't see you the way you want to be seen through the eyes of other people. Yeah, and that's a powerful story, guys. So you're saying when you saw that crack in the house, it kind of shocked you in the sense that as great as this home is, you know, there's something else here. Okay. And then I guess that falls into the next question too, is because you kind of journeyed off to India after, I'm trying to think it from your perspective, like what did your friends think about you when you just suddenly drop everything and go? And like, like how, like how did you even, <laughs> like it, it, I don't think many people would do that is go from like, like living in a great circumstances to just all of a sudden venture out alone. and and. and did you go to India alone too? Okay, wow. Okay. Yeah, so so how did you like get through that socially? And what did I, you I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, that was a period of time where everybody that and, and this is important. See, look, you know, my life, I don't know why my life has been this really crazy uh roller coaster but every last one of these experiences for instance again now look 
I'm going to talk about him, about Guy. Mm -hmm. But we're not talking about Guy. We're talking about the guy, the gal, that all of us are. I'm just a wind... I, I, one of the songs I wrote many years ago, it went, uh, love is living somewhere deep inside you, and I'm just a picture it holds to help you remember to grow and unfold. That's all any of us are, is, is a, a, a temporary manifestation, an instrument of a body of intelligent forces, qualities and characters, that we are intended to learn from and to help others learn about themselves through us, through our experiences. So you asked me, well, what was going on with my friends? This was, this was not by any stretch of the imagination, the first of many blows to come like that. So here's one. But again, we're looking at how we can understand our experience and be honest about them. Uh, when I was uh, 17, I was on the varsity squad at Beverly Hills High School playing football. And I was like good at what I do on that team. And I was awarded a full scholarship to USC as a junior to play football. The University of Southern California? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not, this is unbelievable. So what do you think happens? The last game of my junior year, I'm carrying a kickoff back. I get tackled, stood straight up. One guy grabs my ankles. Another guy comes and clears me out from the knees. Oh, and the next thing I know, I'm paralyzed from the knee down on my left leg. And I still am. Wow. Whatever it is, 55, 56 years later, I'm paralyzed from my knee down. So, so um, can you feel your foot on that side? No, I got nothing on that side. Doesn't stop oh. me. I, I, oh, I, I still do everything that you can do, but, but, that, but let's not miss the point. So here I am and I'm paralyzed. And what do you think happens? I have to wear this, this brace. I don't wear it anymore, but back then I had, this, you know, I had to wear this brace that moved my foot and crap like that. And, Every one of my friends left me. The only one that didn't was a couple girls. That, and girls, that's why girls are great. But on another side, because I got relegated to what they called second period PE. That was where you looked at all the guys that you were nothing like and that you judged severely for being such you know, nincompoops. And now I'm in second period PE. And I'm treated by everyone around me as some kind of pariah because I have to wear this brace on the outside of my leg. Now, what do you think happens going from, you know, big man on campus to nothing on campus? What do you think that does to a young man? Well, it must have crushed you like it took oh, yeah. I mean, it's, away. And I, I don't know how to deal with that. I'm trying to think, what the hell happened? Mm. But, you know, all that happened is I have to wear this brace. I'm still basically the same person. But... No, I'm not, because the world judges everything through this supercilious, superficial appearance process. But we don't know that we do that. Fast forward another 26 years or whatever, 
and I get into, uh, I get, after I came back from India and I decided that I was done with all that, I became a handyman. Literally, I, I drove an old pickup truck and was putting out flyers to get work. Mm. And then I'd buy a book about how to do that work. So one day I'm pushing the truck along with the door open because I ran out of gas and some Yahoo comes driving by looking at a girl on the side and takes my face through the door and takes the door of the truck off with my face, oh, breaks yeah. my neck, just completely disfigures me. My whole really disfigures me. So now I, I, was a, I wasn't a bad looking man. These people said I wasn't. Now I'm sitting here and I, I look like something that the, the, the cat got hold of, mauled it and then left it there. And nobody can even look at me anymore. Now, and on top of that, the mothers of some of the, the, of the children of the celebrities, they want to pay for my plastic surgery. They can't look at me. Everybody's saying, get yourself fixed, get yourself fixed. Well, I'd come far enough along the way at that point, Jeremiah, mm -hmm. to know that the most valuable thing I could do would be to leave my face the way it was. Because, because it, it, I couldn't look at myself. Now, why can't I look at myself? What the hell's going on? Mm -hmm. do, do, are you getting this? We're, we're so attached to and identified to qualities, characters, physical characteristics, possessions, powers, assumed or not, that our whole identity is constantly vested in something that is outside of us with no awareness whatsoever that it is, because when something comes and takes that away from us, then we are identified with the justification, explanations, or plans to return to what we had formerly. And that's what we call life on earth. But it's not life. It's death. Because at the end of the long reign, the long chain of all those activities to prop up something that has no reality apart from identification with something imagined, you end up being a human being, and we all know it. This is honesty again. Are your parents still alive? Mm -hmm. God bless you. That's wonderful. Mine are gone. I got to watch my mother and father die. In fact, I was the only one of the brothers that would do it. Everybody else is so afraid of death, they don't want to be around it. Why do you think we have these beautiful ornate caskets and all the rest of the business connected to the death industry? where the most expedient thing is to put old people in the home so they can expire and, and rot there instead of a human being taking care of another person all the way through. Because we don't want to look at any image that doesn't go along with what it is that we think we are and should be the way life is. Probably too heavy for this interview, huh? Uh, no, this is, this is not heavy. Like, this is perfect. Where, wherever it goes. And I actually have a Another question, even coming back to this is... All right, but sort of the last point. Mm -hmm. My mother and father were terrified when they died. I've never seen somebody who went through, except the, a few students, and not because they're my students, because this one man who had come from a monastery to live at the, with, with us in the Oregon and do the... You know, people are so afraid of dying. I mean, people get a pimple and they come unglued. What do you think all the makeup industry is about? I mean, it's crazy, man. Mm -hmm. Everything's superficial.
So if I know that my parents died frightened and I know other people whose parents, not only, you know, that, who got, who didn't get prettier, prettier with their aging. Why don't human beings get prettier as they get older? Do you ever think about that? Why do human beings get these frowns and the, this unhappy set of eyes and, you know, despairing? You look at nature, what's more beautiful than an autumn leaf that's died? There's great beauty in death because it's a transition. We don't see great beauty in death. We fear it because our identification with life tells us that identification is what life is, and it's not. So a man or a woman, as they age, they should become more beautiful as a human being, more patient, more kind, more transparent because that happens anyway your skin gets you, you start to become like you can see through yourself you know everything very thin well when old people get thin now their veneer gets thin and the anger and all the impatience and all the rest of that stuff living inside of them just popping out like that which is why like 82 percent of people over 70 years old take some kind of psychotropic drug to deal with life that's not what's supposed to happen, Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Don't let it happen to you. <laughs> I, I won't let that happen. Don't let it happen to you. We're friends. I'm telling you, as a friend, don't let it happen to you. It took way too long for me to wake up. It won't take as long next time. It took way too long for me to wake up. And I guess another question to you guys, how have you dealt with loss in your life? And for anyone listening who's you know, maybe their dream just got crushed. Maybe they were on the varsity football team and they had the scholarship and then all of a sudden it, it's just gone. Or maybe they're in a career and everything's going well and they just get fired. And Or maybe they're faced with cancer and illness right now. Look, Jeremiah, why do I have to know how to deal with things? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I kind of get that then. I kind of get that. <laughs> See, like... Listen, is it happening to me? Yeah, it is. Well, let's see. How do I deal with it? I am it. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's what we want. That's what I was saying about honesty. You know, what is this moment showing me? And if I can be honest about it, holy crud, I'm so depressed. I don't know what to do. What should I do about my depression? Oh, I know. Formulate a plan. Go drink and eat myself into oblivion. Fall into a pattern of hating life for taking from me what I should have had. You can see it in everyone around us, and that's the beauty of everyone around us. They may not even know that they are the beauty of that, but for a man or a woman waking up, wanting to awaken, every single human being is a perfect mirror. And in that mirror, we can see, if we're honest, ourselves. And if we're honest about what we see, that honesty is the transformational factor. That is what changes us because real consciousness will not capture itself. It will not hold itself captive and it certainly won't put itself in conflict and stay there. Everything's born, everything dies, everything's born again. That's what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do. And our real relationship, by the way, with the divine, mm -hmm. which is why we're here, so that there can be a, a bridge between 
that which comes into this world, that which it strikes in this world, and that which unites the two worlds in a singular action of continually perfecting both worlds accordingly. So I guess with that guy, how could, um, like, how could someone be more, or why is it important to be connected with other people, with others? Like maybe that's with other human beings or? Well, I don't know that it is. I don't, I, I can't tell you it's important, meaning I'm somehow I've missed the mark. If, you know, boy, Cheryl's got 32 girlfriends. I've only got one. What the hell's wrong with me? I need to get a new hair weave or I need to augment my whatever. I mean, th th this is the humanity the, at our level is again, is that I only know myself through people, places, possessions, powers around me. Now, on the other hand, and I said it before, nothing's more valuable than a relationship. Mm -hmm. now, that's the point of relationship is what? Revelation. I learn about myself through my relationships. But what do my relationships teach me about myself if all I can see in that relationship is what I have to do to keep it in place? then my attention isn't in the right place, is it? So I'm sitting outside with the girls from our first interview, you know, one of the deer or the whole group comes, you know. I experience the qualities and characters that are latent and dormant in Guy sitting here doing my work and then here come the girls. Uh, like you can't see it, but we've been at a heat wave here and now there's all these clouds and the light isn't the usual color light. It's, it's, uh, it's gold. Mm -hmm. Well, gold light makes me feel different than yellow light. The trees are not the same trees in gold light that they are in yellow light. So every movement is a relationship that produces a revelation. And I experience something in my consciousness as the mirror of that world that is in that consciousness, but that I'm not present to. So every last movement of that relationship produces a new understanding of my own depth and breadth of emotion, thought, sensation. What is that? All of that revelation is realization. Oh, I didn't know I had that in me. Wow. When my Rottweiler, Tessie, best dog that ever lived in the whole world. I had a very unique relationship with the animal. And then she got cancer. And I, I literally laid on the floor for like four straight days while she was dying because she couldn't get up. I'd have to take her outside and all the rest of that. And I wept for, a, for two weeks straight before she died. I don't know why. You say, well, you love the animal. Well, may, of course I love the animal, but I must have also had some bond, some identity, something that was intimately connected with that dog. Who the hell knows why? As after she died, I, I didn't grieve hardly at all because I grieved before she left. Why? I don't know why. That's just what this is. 
I don't need to know why this is. This is what it is. So the realization that there is this great profound sorrow, this grief, this immense impatience, this strong ambition, whatever it is that is revealed to me through a relationship is a revelation that produces a realization about my qualities and characters. Now, what's the point of the realization, Jeremiah? Um, to learn about who we are? Yes, integration. I call it, I just coined this word yesterday. I'm going to give a talk on it. Keep it real. R-R-I, no, R-R-R-I-L. Relationship, revelation, realization, integration, liberation. R-R-R-I-L. Keep it real, man. That's where we have to be in the moment, in the relationship. The person's really irritating me. Keep it real. Relationship, revelation. I didn't know that I had that kind of demand that I was living with that assumption that I'm so special. Everybody should drop what they're doing the minute I, I show up. Realization, ah, no justification. There's no J in real. No justification, no explanation, no blaming. Relationship, revelation, realization, integration. Ah, not my will, but thy will be done. Now I see. Can I leave that moment where I am being shown something by another function of a world greater than my ability to control, a world in me that thinks it's supposed to control everything? Ah. Integration, liberation. No more judgment. No more trying to get this or do that because one understands that whatever appears in the moment is a product of the appearance of the moment. And that, that's what you are. That's what you're being given. And your job, my job, isn't to try to make some little kingdom of heaven out of our image of ourself and how things should be, but to integrate the kingdom of heaven, which is this presence that we're in. We live in the presence moment. The presence moment. This is this moment, the expression of a far greater body of time in which all of these possibilities are being presented to an infinite number of characters. That relationship is life. If I'm present to the presence that pushes the button in me, and I get that that's all that's happening for the purpose of aligning presence with this person, then I can let go of Guy and let what is brought out of me be integrated as it's intended to be through the whole process. In Christian terms, that's what the Holy Spirit does. There's what's active, the presence. There's what's passive, this consciousness. And there's that which reconciles these two qualities. Because they don't, they don't get reconcile themselves. Something active runs into something passive, conflict. Mm. Well, how can harmony come out of conflict unless something reveals and relates them in such a way that something new is born out of that interaction? So, Guy, you're saying that the present moment is a, like kind of a relationship? The present moment, you know, in Christian terminology, you know what a cross is in Christian mm -hmm. terms? The center of that cross is where what is eternal 
intersects passing time. That's the center of the cross. That's the heart of Christ, if you're a Christian, because that's where the moment of sacrifice takes place. Passing time, I'm this, I'm that, I'm going there. I don't want this. I do not have that happen to me. Intersects something that says, oh, well, think again. Actually, it is happening to you, and mm -hmm. it's happening to you so you can surrender all that you think you are so you can find your place in that which is giving you this life for the purpose of that realization. Okay, so I guess everything I'm kind of pulling away from this, guys, it seems that when it comes to life, we're kind of like flowing through time and it, it always gives us like these, like these roadblocks in front of us to help us like uh, re realize more about who we are and it's not bad. It's not bad, Jeremiah. We are not flowing through time. Time is flowing through us. Okay. <laughs> and and it is revealing not roadblocks, but possibilities. So that, like, let's say, you know, I let's say I don't know that I think that no one is ever supposed to question my opinion. All of us have that in us. My belief is, really, let's just face it, what everybody should believe. Look at the psychotic breakdown of our planet. Look at the polarization, an incredible pain mm -hmm. where one part is trying to change the whole. No part can change the whole. Only the awareness of all parts integrates the parts into something new. So here's this incredible polarization. The man on the left thinks everybody on the right's a fruitcake. The guy on the right thinks the guy on the left has lost his mind. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in between are those who are saying they both lost their mind. They should be where I am in my position. So all you have is people with positions based on images of themselves. Conditioned ideas, ideals produced by religious environment, across the board, consolidated into a giant lump. Passing time, meaning that which is flowing uh, through us, comes and it says, hey, guy, did you know that you say that people that don't love the things that you love are idiots? And basically, you despise anybody that doesn't love the way you do. And that makes sense to that consciousness. And then one day, that consciousness awakened somewhat, goes, wait a minute, if I hate people that don't love the way I do, do I know what love is? Does hate actually know what love is? Does violence, conflict have any concept of what the nature of peace is? And you begin to see that this consciousness is this, this, this room of opposites, none of which are reconciled because every moment that comes to reveal them as being in conflict and divided is shunted off and denied for the sake of keeping that consciousness in place, which is what it does. But one day you can't shunt that off anymore. One day you recognize that you hating somebody that doesn't agree with you, doesn't make you right. You're not proving their limitation by blaming them. You're just unaware of the limitation in you that you've been asked to see and die to. So that then there can be a new relationship because you're a new human being. Then everything can change. And if they don't change, back to my friends, What's that to me? I know that change is possible. I'm not talking about change like 
money change. I'm not talking about change like I got a new face. You know, I got a six pack set of abs. I had to pay $5,000 for them, but I got a six pack. Not that kind of change. Inward change. Holy crud. I don't have to be an angry man. I don't have to have a single enemy. I don't have to have a single enemy. I don't have to, I don't have to have one regret from my past. Not one. I don't have to suffer over whether or not I'm going to die or when it's going to be. I don't have to do it. Now, it doesn't mean that when the condition comes that whatever residue of these incomplete parts of ourselves won't pop up. But if you're aware of them, then you use their appearance instead of being used by them. Now you're a different order of human being, which is what the whole purpose of our life is to be. Mm-hmm. So that in becoming a different order of human being, suddenly I am, as a man or a woman, just by the change in my consciousness, affecting the consciousness of every other human being on the planet, because it's a single consciousness. By the same token, individuals who may want to know something about the same feelings that I had while I was growing up can see, well, that must, I guess it's possible. Because I'm remembering things he's telling me. You're not learning from me. You're just remembering stuff that's forgotten. That's all. So that's what awakening does. You, rem- you are brought into the memory of this broader body of time where all of this wisdom already exists. And then you help other people remember that what they're looking for, they are. But they forgot it because they're too busy, caught up in that consciousness that's trying to become what it imagines will make them whole. At some point, Jeremiah, you get it. I'm not going to make myself whole. <laughs> I'm not going to become a loving person by pretending to be loving. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to be authentically kind by you know, serving food to homeless people. I'm going to become authentically kind when I wake up to the fact that there is something in me that is unkind. But it's not me. I'm going to be fearless when I understand the nature of fear. But not because I bring an end to fear, but because I see that fear serves a purpose. And the purpose isn't for me to protect what's feared, but rather to die to the fear because it's useless. Because it's revealing. Fear is a revelation, not something to run from. So it's a whole shift in one's consciousness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Because if fear is a revelation, then you're saying kind of run towards your fears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I want to know about me. Mm-hmm. I'm here to discover all possibilities, Jeremiah. That doesn't mean just the possibilities that this conditioned boy born in Beverly Hills paralyzed, got cancer, had his face torn off. I mean, it just on and on the story goes. Mm. <clears throat> it's not so I'm complete, so I can complete my mission, my purpose as a human being. And every one of us has a very distinct reason for being that only the very specific conditions we encounter can help us complete. But as a whole, we represent a kind of beautiful, holy entanglement intended to ceaselessly turn chaos into order, chaos into order, chaos into order. Mm -hmm. Fear is chaos trying to produce order. 
That's what we're looking at in the world today. Yeah. No, I don't. Just, just take your time, man. I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really. That's a lot there, guy. <laughs> I'm throwing a lot of stuff here, but, you know, it's all good. Yeah. yeah and could you touch a little bit about um, purpose and why that's important? Can you think of anything in existence holding humanity outside for a moment that doesn't have a purpose? Um, not, or, is, really or, is, or is every literally down to the quirks and qualos and all the other little queer things that they're discovering that make up this matrix? They think they're going to someday discover God. <laughs> every last one of these things is in this relationship and without every one of those things moving through a process of being brought into existence serving existence and departing existence so that it can serve it again in a new form without all that there's nothing now that's beautiful and it's observable oh, I always I sit here sometimes in my little house and I've got all my bird feeders and, you know, my, I'm a bit of a naturalist, I guess. I've been watching squirrels here for 30 years. Now, I know they're not the same squirrels. <laughs> they don't live that long. Every squirrel does the exact same thing. It's unbelievable. Now, <laughs> does that mean that there's these individual squirrels or is a squirrel a creature that completes the purpose of nature in its squirrel-like craziness. Why is a bird sitting there having its little, you know, beautiful gross beaks, they're songbirds, sitting there mm -hmm. having a seed, and all of a sudden it looks over like that. And then it looks back and then it takes off. Where's it going? Who's to, is, this, is the bird thinking, oh, I'll see. Oh, I forgot to turn the gas off at home. So, you know? No, the, nature has a purpose for every creature. It's scripture. If you know Christian scripture, not, not, not a bird, not a blade of grass, not one thing happens that this divine doesn't know about it. Why? Because the divine is the, the source from out of which all these various forms are appearing for the purpose of revealing the divine. Because when you see it, you see it's, it's a whole thing. It's a single movement divided up into an infinite number of individualized actions. In the East, I don't remember where I saw this, there's a tradition. They'll take like 100 or 108 cups of water, and they'll put these 108 cups of water out in the sun. You know why they do that? Because the sun that's only one sun appears in all 108 cups. Okay. You can see the sun in each cup of water in the reflection. So each cup of water has its own sun, but what it's reflecting isn't the sun and yet it's connected to the sun. That, that's kind of what I'm trying to say is that there is this connection we don't see because we're too busy being identified with what we're connected to, to give us a sense of continuity. Only our continuity is dead in the water. 
quite literally, because the body is going to rot and fall off and you're going to be gone. And if you don't know that yet, which nobody young knows, when you're young, you're immortal, you're full of sex drive, you've everything, I mean, life, there's nothing but goodness for the most part, because mm -hmm. you, you're just, you know, watch out, I'm coming through. But for some, and maybe for you, there's something else. There's another purpose sown into that seed. That's what becoming an aspirant is about. You didn't create the interest you have in this, Jeremiah. Do you think you, you made you interested in these things? Do you think you made and gave you this feeling that you have when you're feeding on higher ideas? No, something's being nourished in Jeremiah that was there before Jeremiah was there. And now its purpose is being served by its attraction to attention in what's feeding it. So the purpose of the body is one thing, and then there's another purpose to a body within that body. The purpose of the seed is to feed the kernel. When the seed feeds the kernel, the husk dies. It's useless to what grows out of it. Human beings, which is the parable of the sower of the seed, are a seed that carries a seed. There's a seed in you. Mm -hmm. There's a seed in Guy. Do I take care of the seed? Or do I think that this body's the seed and watch it grow, become old, and, and die in fear because I thought this was the whole Megillah? Vernon Howard said, It is wise to seek immortality because time defeats all other ambitions. Oh, yeah. Actually, that, that one's, I, I still can't wrap my head around that quote. Like, what, what does that mean? It is wise to find that which never dies because in time, all creations pass. Okay. Within you is something that is timeless. You know it when you look out and you see some moment in nature and it takes your breath away. And for a split second, there's neither observer or observed. There's just a unity. There's just that integration, which in that moment is the same as liberation from all of Jeremiah's fears and worries. I hear some beautiful strain of music. I give myself to it completely. For that moment, there's no guy with money or no money. There's no guy with cancer or no cancer. There's no guy who's paralyzed or not paralyzed. There's no me with a husband, a wife, a family. None of that exists mm -hmm. because all of that existence belongs to a temporary person. Something that's come into existence, given a name, developed according to his environment, conditioned, and then believes that he's that. When everything about life keeps telling us, no, that's not quite right. And the way you know it's not quite right is that you're in constant fear, clinging or trying to control. Resisting life for the most part. You tell me, Jeremiah, and listeners, I'm asking you, is most of your life like, wow, this is great. I can't wait for the day. Let me go into it. Or is most of our day 
how can I, they got to make a list. I got to do, I don't really want to go do that. But if I do that, then I get to do something else. Mm-hmm. So our life is mostly predicated in unconscious resistance, not wanting, not wanting. You think God doesn't want his own life? Not wanting. We're meant and created to be able to want seeing the not wanter, to be present enough to realize that we can be connected to something that is literally the, 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 the cornucopia, the, the, the horn of plenty, that which out of which is always flowing, something flowing, something flowing, something flowing. Well, so guy, I guess coming from that, I just have this question and I'm sure maybe for some of the listeners listening too, but um, you know, how could someone, or if, if, do you have any advice? Let's say someone is living in a state of worriness, right? Like they always have these to-dos. I find myself often in a situation where I have this to-do list and maybe I have something I'm kind of looking forward to, but like, it just isn't it, like the experience isn't as good as what is as it should be because I'm always worrying about what is next. Um, and like, how can some, like, how do you fix that? You don't, you be honest. You asked me, what did my friends think? Why does that even matter? Don't misunderstand me. It did then. It, it hurt. Mm-hmm. I stopped being asked to go out. You know, but I had something more important. There was another value. I didn't create the value in myself. There were times with God as my witness, Jeremiah, back in the day, I was living in, in, a, in a kind of a small estate on Malibu that, that I owned. We had horses. There was a tennis court. I mean, it was, I was like the bee's knees, you know, and all of it was just coming undone because nothing that I thought was going to happen that I'd be fulfilled through, it all lost its, the glitter. You know, the Vernon used to say the, the, the veneer, the gold veneer comes off the lead brick and suddenly you're sitting there, you see this thing is lead, man. It's not gold. Mm-hmm. I wasn't set free by my career. I wasn't set free by to- being told that I would become whatever it is that the, 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 the high powered people said you're going to become. I'm sitting there, and in those days, as I could see, I had to let it go. I'm, this is the truth. I banged my head on my piano. I mean, I said, bang my head on my piano, crying. Like, out of frustration? Yeah, yeah, no, I was being torn apart. I knew it was a dead end. But I didn't see any other where to go other than to let that which was showing me, yeah, that doesn't work for you. This isn't going to bring you whatever it is that you love, it's not going to bring it. So I didn't make that evident to myself, Jeremiah, but I had to obey it or not. I obeyed it. Thank God. I I have this saying, 
people think about the kingdom of heaven, you know, the, the pearly gates or whatever it is, whatever strange religious symbols are in their mind. And people, human beings, imagine that, that somehow they, they, that when, when they die, they're going to walk in. No, I'm, I'm a good person. I'll tell you the truth about the kingdom of heaven and the gates. In front of the gates, there are heel marks where people were dragged in. No one walks in according to their own will. That's why Christ said, but who understands it? You can't take the kingdom of heaven by force. Only human beings who, are, who, who observe and recognize and are willing to go through what must be gone through, which is always kicking and screaming the whole way, but nevertheless always obeying the honesty that's showing them what they can no longer do and be. How many times in a person's life do they say yes to somebody because they're afraid if they say no, that person is going to cut them out of their life? I had the same thing. You want another story? My parents were, were fairly wealthy human beings. And when I started going down this road and going to India and all the rest of that, leaving the music business, becoming a handyman, they thought I lost my mind. They thought I'd fallen into a cult. And what do you think they did? They threatened me. You're out of here, babe. You're out of the will. You're not going to get a penny from us. Now, do you understand something like that? Do they love me? Well, I don't know. They're trying to control me. Why are they trying to control me? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm not in their control, then all of their fears that their God suddenly appear. And now they're alone and they don't know. They're made to question themselves because I'm not part of their value system anymore. So I got written out of the will. But in some strange way, seven years later, when my mother finally realizes that I've actually become a better human being and it's evidential, she makes me the executor of the will. <laughs> you know? See, I mean, you, you, you just have to see how that happens. So you lose everything, and then you're free, and then you get everything, and you don't care anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, look, I guess this, this thought kind of popped in my head um, during the interview, but it seems like what I'm learning from this is in like maybe the first phase of life, you're kind of like in this acquiring mode, being trying to be someone, and then all of a sudden losses start happening to you. And then it kind of gets you ready for a sense like the ultimate sacrifice, which is like your, your death or our, our death. Right. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird cycle. <laughs> no, you, you had it right. Mm. The first part, I'm a young buck, I'm a beautiful girl. I'm in my 20s, maybe my 30s. Life still pretty much unfolds the way I want it to because I've got enough energy to manipulate people and circumstances. I can come up with new plans. I'll reinvent myself. But at some point, and this is very, by the way, scriptural in the East, you know, that it's, your life is divided up, at least it used to be, the Bhagavad Gita and other old religious texts, person spent a certain amount of time doing a certain thing, and then just like uh, 
the, the spring, summer, winter, fall, you, you, you begin to prepare as you're intended to for a new understanding about the whole of your life. So I go through these stages and I did. It's even, I don't know if you know anything about astrology, but it's even geared to the movement of certain of the planets and relative to fate, certain cycles, periods of time. 28 years old, there's a pretty significant deal. I can look back in my life and see very distinct things where suddenly that, you know what, this, this isn't quite the way it was supposed to be. And I either see this isn't quite the way it's supposed to be and allow that honesty given to me by a light that understands what I've been in the dark about. And I give myself increasingly to that so that the light increases, which will seem like life's getting worse. Because now I'm beginning to see all the things that have been formulated in this personality over time. So that those early stages are intended to be passages not just a series of ways in which we excuse or justify ourselves until we die, but rather we begin to die while we're alive. And if we're not dying while we're alive, then when death comes, it'll be death. But if we die while we're alive, then when death comes, we'll have life. That's the order of things. That's the true order of things. Yeah, that, that, that is, yeah, that is very, like I don't know, this is like mind blowing for me. <laughs> like no, that, that that's really interesting. Like yeah, because we kind of are dying throughout life. Like we're getting older. I'm getting older. I can feel it, and it's it's a weird kind of scary feeling. Like it's I don't really like it, but it's just you can't stop it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah, you know, man, I understand. I really do completely. This that's exactly what it's like. You know, and so I wander around kind of, well, you know, what's going on? I don't like this. I, why does it have to be like that? You know, mm -hmm. uh, how come I, uh, you know, I, I ran, uh, I ran yesterday and I'm sore today. What's that about? You know, whatever it may be. Wait till you hit your 70s. <laughs> <laughs> but the point here is that instead of wondering what's going on, which is what thought wants to do, thought wants to compare my experience today to what it was yesterday and then thought wants to take what it was yesterday and today and project it into the future where it doesn't look much better and that's what I investigate with which is thought and thought can't investigate nothing but can I see can I see can I leave that moment when it comes and it says, you know, that, that, what's this about? Why did that person speak to me like that? What's this, what's this gray in my beard? And, and, and leave those tender moments alone. Because they're tender moments. Something in us turns them into torment or terror but they're tender moments. The light comes up in the dark. It's a tender moment when the sun rises. When the light rises in us, it's a tender moment. Mm -hmm. But something in us is terrified of the light. And you know why? Because that which lives in us that's terrified of the light of awareness 
believes it is the light of awareness, but it's not. That's what we want to cultivate is a relationship with this tenderness. It's not, nothing is, God doesn't punish. The divine never blames. It never lashes out. It never tries to hold somebody down and make them into something. Tender moments, tender moments. If I can leave them that way, they will, excuse the pun, they will tenderize me. Mm. <laughs> make me suitable for digestion <laughs> by the divine. Oh, so, so when it comes to your life, Guy, and you know, when you think about the future, it seems like you're, you're pretty comfortable I, with... I don't think about the future. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, 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 that's what I'm coming to. You seem very like, comfortable at it, and you, you don't really think about it. But how, how could someone younger adopt that to the mindset? Because I think that gets rid of a lot of like worries or, okay. you know. Right. I like the question. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you be the advocate for the listener. What do you have hopes in? Um, maybe, I I, you, you, all right, maybe we don't have to get that personal. Oh, no, no. I, I can dive into it. Like, I want to grow this channel. Like, I'm really, like, I want it to grow. I want the podcast to grow. Like, I've hopes in it to see it succeed. Like, I don't want it to fail. Um, I don't know. I want, like, money and wealth, probably more money and wealth. So, like, okay, so that's, just the that's usual stuff. Like, I want to live a good life. That's it. But you know what? Mm -hmm. I don't have any doubt, honestly, knowing you, that your love for truth outweighs your love of money and ambition. They're still married all together. It's all mixed up in there, but I have mm -hmm. no doubt. Because when a man, a woman can love something, if they really have a love for something, they didn't put that love in them. Love put it in them so that love could meet itself through this world and bring itself into fruition. Uh, if I, any human being that takes credit for something that they've developed, if they say, I did this, they're a sleeping monster. Love develops a human being so that love can reveal the possibilities that only love can produce. I have a love of something, but I also love money. I love approval. I love people saying, you are so, Jeremiah, you are so special. We love that. So now I have hopes like that. Take listeners, write down two or three of your hopes. I hope I never have to get, I hope I can get to a place where I never worry about money again. Write it down and put it on the wall. And one year from today, look at that and you'll see, you know what? I'm not there. Then you're going to make some money or not. And if you've made money, you look at, I'm still not there. I have, I have, more, I have more than I'll ever spend. I'm still not there. I'm still a nut. Hmm. Maybe what I've imagined I can have and become is in fact a superficial, a superficial identity and it can't be answered. Christ said, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one and despise the other. No one understands that. He then went on to say, because if you do, you are in service to what was called mammon in those days. Can't love one, despise the other. He was talking about not separate masters. He's talking about unconscious desire. Because the love of money includes the hatred of anything that interferes with it. 
The love of being powerful includes despising anybody that challenges the image of myself. Cannot love one without despising the other, and that you who serve mammon come to this unpleasant end. Mammon is insatiable desire. That's what mammon is, not some beast or some weird Christian idea. Mammon is this nature that is incomplete, that is seeking to complete itself through what it imagines will do it. And the very nature that imagines what will complete it keeps that nature in place and impossible to please. That's why there's never enough. Never enough. Make a note about that for yourself and just one day check it and see if anything's changed. And if it hasn't, now you have some light on a part of the, you that's in the dark that you didn't know, and you'll be less and less interested in serving it. And as you lose interest in serving it, the energy that was formerly poured into the service of something that can't be satisfied begins to collect and accumulate in such a way that now you have new energy in order to see the things you couldn't see before because the energy is being wasted. So that's what we can do if we are actually interested in this more than just having a temporary sense of identity being titillated by truth. Wow. Well, well I actually, I've seen that a lot too, because like the more I focus on, let's say one goal and say, like, oh, I need to achieve this. It almost seems like it's, it's just the harder it is to actually hit the goal. But then when I'm like, oh, like whatever, I'm just going to, I don't really think about it. And then it, all of a sudden just, you can, you can, you, you, re you reach the goal and you don't even really care. <laughs> in, in part, that's true. And we're, I know we're coming to the mm -hmm. end of our time, but this is important. Do whatever you do 100%. That's how we learn. I, I like golf. It's actually kept, probably kept me alive because I can't really do any super active sports with my legs. And even mm -hmm. golf's tough because it's my left leg that's paralyzed and that's the leg you post on when you swing. But I've learned in golf that if I don't commit completely to whatever it is that I think the swing should be, then I'm protecting a fear I have of making a bad swing. If you protect a fear, you never learn that fear is trying to protect itself. So if you make a commitment 100%, I'm gonna do this 100%, then you're gonna learn 100% because you're going to see everything that stands in the way of you executing, in this instance, the swing. You're going to see that, you know what, I committed 100% to this task, and now I see, to, to an extent, this task isn't completing me. 100%. Don't do anything. Half actions, half results. Half actions, half results. We don't want half actions. We don't want half results. We want full honesty born of full realization from our relationship and the revelation, the integration, and the liberation. Wow. Well, yeah, Guy, I know that we're coming to the end of this interview and I just have a couple of questions for you, uh, but I guess the first question is, where can people learn a little bit more about Guy Finley and listen to some of the amazing talks that you do and check out your books as well? You can go to guyfinley.org g-u-i-f-i-n-l-e-y.org and you can 
read and listen and watch for decades. There's so much archive material there. But what I would really recommend is that you go to uh, www.guyfinley.org forward slash free talk. So free talk or free class. Dang, I don't know. Yeah, but I think it, I, huh? we'll have the link in the description as well. Go there. I'm talking two times a week online, nothing to join. If you can make a little donation, great, but it's not mandatory. And I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing with you twice a week. And then another two times a week, I have a wisdom school, which you can also find out about at my foundation, guyfinley.org, that costs less than a mocha a month, where you can participate with a group of aspirants. And you also, on Friday night, can join long-term students of mine who talk and further the ideas that I give the week before. So the, the, the school is built so that anyone who wants to start digging that hole and bring up this water and drinking from that well can do so. So guyfinley.org forward slash free talk. Darn it. You'll put it up, right? Yeah, I'll have, I'll have the description in yeah, here. Okay. That's what you do. And of course, I, I, have, I always forget this. I am on um, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, YouTube. I've got my own channel. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm honestly, I don't even know. But that if you Google Guy Finley, you'll find out about it. So that's it. And I say the same thing to the listeners, Jeremiah, that I do to you. Persist. You can't have this love in you without that love preparing the way. Just that you have to understand what it means to get out of the way. And that's the way. And yeah, and I'll have all the links in the description, guys. And number one, I just want to thank um, thank you, Guy Finley, personally, because you know I've learned a lot from reading one of one of your books, um, The Illusions of Limitations. And as well, just this interview just kind of like blew my mind. Like, there's a lot of moments where maybe you have to rewatch this and digest it a little bit, but this will be a special episode I can always come back to and, and reflect on. But um, I guess I have one last question for you, Guy. And it's going to be if you, if you could either go back to 25-year-old Guy Finley or I don't know, maybe you don't want to go back to you personally or you had some message for someone around that age, 25 year olds in the world, um, what, what would you want to leave them with? Trust your intuition. If something is calling you, go. But don't go with your eyes closed. Go with your eyes open. Dare to be aware of losses and victories and start to recognize that there is something that transcends either one of those opposites, which is the point of the path. Trust your intuition, follow it, eyes open. That would be my message. Because by the grace of God, not that it hasn't been an unbelievably bumpy road, every bump has been a shock. Use the breakup to wake up. Use the breakup to wake up. That's it. 